Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages, to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when I brought it home, ye did, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. Father, I pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts and encourage us through your word, instruct us through your word. And Father, where necessary, I pray that conviction will be brought and that lives will be brought more in line with the principles of your word and what would please you. I pray that you would help us for the next few moments to focus our hearts, our minds, to yield ourselves to the leading of your Holy Spirit inwardly as we listen to the message outwardly, that we will already have determined and made up our minds that we long for, we hunger and thirst for the truth of your word, and that if it is shown to us, if we see it, that we will apply it and put it into practice in our lives, that we will yield to it and surrender to it. I pray that you would bless it and Lord, may it draw our hearts closer to you in a way that um, we can rejoice as we leave here, knowing that we've been drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two different times here, Haggai makes the mention of the fact that God had spoken to him and told the children of Israel that they were to consider their ways. Now, Haggai is, is on the heels of uh, Nehemiah, if you remember the story of Nehemiah and the, uh, the uh, Jerusalem had been uh, ruined uh, under the siege of Nebuchadnezzar for several different sieges that happened on Jerusalem. The, uh, the temple had been destroyed. Um, Solomon's temple had been destroyed. And uh, Nehemiah comes. He rebuilds the wall, if you remember that story. And they uh, rebuild the foundation of the temple. And then about 11 years pass. Uh, after they have the great revival under Amos and, uh, and all of the, the, the children of Israel turn back to God and begin to worship God, uh, about 11 years or so elapses between the time of the foundation of the temple being built and the time of Haggai. And what happened was the people got so excited about the things of the Lord and they rose up and, boy, it was just the, uh, the mountaintop experience, if you will. And, boy, we've experienced some of that in our church recently, just God's blessing overflowing so much that we almost couldn't contain it. And the children of Israel understood this as Nehemiah came and the hand of God was upon them and blessed them and prospered them. And they were able to rebuild the walls in a record number of time, amount of time. And just about 50 or so days, I think it was, or something along those lines, uh, were able to repair and rebuild the walls and set the gates. They were able to clear out the, the rubble of the temple and uh, to uh, reestablish the foundation. They found the book of the law and they stood up and read it on a pulpit. And all of the children of Israel repented and came and, and began to have spiritual revival. And then all of a sudden it came to a screeching halt. Not, and the spiritual revival was still there. 
But everybody kind of said, okay, the city is taken care of. Now we need to go out here and deal with our houses, and we need to make sure that uh, we build our houses up, and we're going to be able to be a prosperous country again. And they forgot about the house of God. And so God comes to them, and in and, and Haggai, He tells the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. By the way, any time in Scripture the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts to the nation of Israel, I think they would want to sit up and take notice, because this is not just some thoughts or some direction from a man. This is God speaking specifically to them. By the way, any time God speaks specifically to you and I, we ought to sit up and take notice. You say, Brother Greg, he doesn't audibly speak like that today. I know that. But he is extremely specific in this wonderful book. And he does speak to us through it, doesn't he? And we ought to sit up every time that we have opportunity to come to his word and take notice. Because every time I come to this book, it's thus saith the Lord. This is what he said. This is what he wants for you and I to know. And he comes to the nation of Israel, and he says, I want you to consider your ways. And, and I think that the, the truth that God has for the nation of Israel, understanding that, that these, these folks were, this nation was in, in a period of, of a mountaintop and, and spiritually being blessed. They had turned from their idols. They were worshiping God, and things were good. But without them even understanding or realizing the issue, there was something that, that was still not quite right. And God comes to him, he says, you need to consider your ways. I want to think on this thought this morning of considering our ways. Because the truth is, there are times we go through our lives and we don't even realize some of the things that maybe have begun to slip or begun to drift. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 14. Proverbs, chapter number 14. And by the way, we're living in a day that has become so corrupt morally that even God's people are uh, allowing themselves to be involved in things that 50 years ago or 100 years ago were deviant and were things that we said, oh, no, we're separated from those things. And the reason is we've been so uh, uh, desensitized, if you will, to the wickedness of the world that we've begun to drift in that area. In fact, it's interesting to me that the Bible speaks of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, and if you remember, the, uh, God had blessed Lot and God had blessed Abraham so much that their herds were too great for the land to bear both of them. And the, the herdsmen began to fight over who would have the best pasture. And Abraham came to Lot and he said, listen, we're, we're family. We, we shouldn't be fighting like this. He said, look, you, you take, and he, he said, you take your pick where you want to take and you go. And he said, I'll give you first choice. You go whatever direction you feel like you want to go and I'll go the other direction. And we'll still love each other as family, uh, but we're going to separate here just for sake of peace. And uh, the Bible says that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the well-watered plains of what? Anybody remember? The well-watered plains of Sodom. And so he pitches his tent, the Bible says, toward Sodom. When we find Lot, after the time that, that God comes and he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, where do we find Lot now? He's not at, towards, towards Sodom. He's dwelling in Sodom, isn't he? You know the Bible tells us in the New Testament that just Lot, speaking of him being a just man, vexed his righteous soul by seeing and hearing from day to day the wickedness of Sodom. And I look at that and I think, well, what a travesty that Lot would fall into such a place 
where, where he put himself in a situation where he saw and he heard things and he allowed the, the, the righteousness of his heart, the things that he used to love and the things he used to abstain from and he used to love the Lord, and he allowed that to wax cold and it began to drift. And the Bible says it vexed his righteous soul. And I often wonder if it can happen to Lot, who was a just man. We, we criticize Lot because of what we know for him, but he was a righteous man. The Bible says that. He had a righteous soul. He was a just man. And if it can happen to Lot, you can rest assured it can happen to you and I. We've got to be so careful of these things. And we're living in a time where more and more, and it seems like the deviancy of our, of our culture, the moral center of our culture, had started a, a, a downward turn about mid-century, last, last century, and began to, to go down. And I'll tell you, in the last eight or ten years, we have seen that thing almost fall off of a cliff. We've watched the moral depravity of our country fall so quickly that even God's people are allowing things into their lives and, and thinking, boy, we're still so far from the world. But it's things that we would have never thought we'd do 100 years ago, 50 years ago. And I sell that to warn us of these things because if it can happen to Lot, it can happen to you and I. It can happen to your pastor. It can happen to your deacons. It can happen to everybody sitting in this room today. We allow it to come in the eye gate and the ear gate. We need to consider our ways. We need to often come to the place of considering our ways. Notice what the Bible says here in Proverbs chapter number 14 and verse number 12. Proverbs chapter 14. There is a way which seemeth. Notice that word. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Now turn over with me to Proverbs chapter number 16. Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. I began to ponder and wonder, what is it about our ways that would cause us to look at a way that leads to death and think that it's the right way. You ever scratch your head when you look at some young people that make foolish choices and you think, what are they thinking? But then we have to stop sometimes and look at some of the things we make decisions on and choices on. And we have to almost ask ourselves those same questions sometimes, don't we? What were we thinking there's ways, the Bible speaks of, that seem right, but they're in there over the ways of death. And I began to wonder on that and think on that and ponder that and meditate. What in the world would cause a way that would cause destruction? What is it that would cause it to seem right? And I'll tell you what I think, uh, I think the answer is. In fact, I believe that from Scripture we can show this. It's because we weigh or we measure that way with the wrong scale. You see, we look at those ways from the scale of financial gain. We look at those scales uh, that measure that way and, and try to, to gauge how good that way is by is it going to cost me in the area of friendship? Is it going to cost me a job? Is it going to put me at odds with a family member? 
we begin to measure these ways sometimes by standards that are never intended to be the standard to measure them by. For we only have one standard to measure by, and that's the Word of God. Every way that we choose in our life must be brought alongside of God's Word first, beyond any other consideration. It must be brought alongside of God's Word first. And we have to measure it according to God's Word. I promise you this, that when we begin to measure the ways that are out there that we choose, along with God's Word, we will not be choosing the ways that lead to destruction. There are things that we look at from society. We say, boy, our society is accepting of this. Boy, it's just the natural thing. You know, there are things that I am shocked at in my life that have become so acceptable that even Christian people expect them. I was talking to... uh, I want to be careful how I say this. I was talking to a Christian friend of mine here a few months ago a single fella, and he had been on a Christian dating site. Had gone out on two or three dates with Christian, quote-unquote, young ladies. And on the first date, there were some expectations that this young man was shocked by. And the comment was this, everybody does it. And I thought, you know, when I was a young person, those things were looked at as sin. Those things were looked at as immorality. Those things were looked at as something that you didn't do. And now we're living in a day where even God's people look at them as normal. Why? Because we've measured them to the wrong standard. We began to compare them to the, to the, to the acceptableness of, of society or the lawfulness of whatever legislation is ruling it. I told young people years ago, I said, we should never govern our lives by what we're allowed to do. Because there's a lot of things that we can be allowed to do that are not in line with God's Word. There's a lot of things that are legal in our society today. And by the way, if you haven't already made up your mind to make sure that you vote this year according to principles of God's Word, can I encourage you in this? As as God's people, we need to pray fervently for God to lead us and direct us in this matter. This is something that it should not be cause for worry or concern, but it ought to be cause for something that we take a stand on and we're purposeful of. Because our world is continuing to decline. I don't believe that the answers are in Washington, D.C. I believe the answers are in the pulpits of our churches. Where God's people must once again come back and consider their ways. Where there are opportunities on a regular basis for you and I to take the things that are happening in our life, the ways that we have, and to say, I want to make sure that they are lined up with Scripture. I don't know how many times in my life I have either said in in moments that I've not been uh, all that I should be or sometimes in times where I've had people come to me and they've said, well, I know the Bible says this, but... And then we go on to justify why we're not going to obey the Bible. And we almost have this idea that, well, God will understand. No, if God understood, He would have put that in Scripture. He would have made the exception there, but He doesn't. We need to consider our ways. Two different times in the book of Proverbs. And by the way, I'm a, a firm believer of this. God didn't just make a typographical error here and repeat Himself accidentally. Oh, I forgot I put that verse a chapter earlier. God didn't do that when He inspired Scripture. 
If God put it in there twice, I promise you this, it's so that if we missed it the first time, we certainly get it the second time. There are some things that God emphasizes rather strongly in Scripture. He wants us to get a hold of. And I look at things that are mentioned two or more times in Scripture as things that God emphasizes and says this is something that is of utmost importance in a Christian's life. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the ends are of the ways of death. Why? Because we're measuring it by the wrong scale. We look at it and we say, oh, that's acceptable. Those are things that we ought to. Those are things that we ought to be able to do because uh, uh, you know the society says that it's okay. We end up going down the road of destruction. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm number five, the fifth Psalm, if you will. <clears throat> psalm five. I love the psalmist's heart, and I believe really with all of my heart that one of the reasons that God considered David a man after his own heart, even after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, even after he committed murder of Uriah the the Hittite, do you know that there are men that were kings that God cut off their kingship for less than what David did? Why, Why not David? Why did God not cut David off? I believe it comes down to David's heart. That while David did these sins, he was so mortified by them that he had failed his God and his Savior. He was so contrite and broken in spirit that God said, that's the kind of man's heart that I want. He's not perfect, but his heart longs for me. I think we find that over and over in the Psalms, and I think Psalm 5 is one of the great pictures of this. If you look with me in verse number 8, He says, lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. You know, the psalmist said, oh, that my ways were thy ways. The psalmist understood, he said, there were things that that I desired and things that I looked at and thought, this is how I want to live my life. Let's say it's my will. And then there's God's will. There's God's way. There's the plan He has for my life. And one of the great struggles of the psalmist was trying to bring his will and his way into subjection to God's way. By the way, that's the same battle you and I face today, isn't it? I don't know how many mornings we wake up purpose to serve God and how many evenings we come to bed asking God to forgive our failure as we have taken our way that day. The psalmist says, Make thy way straight before my face. Put it plain in front of me. Make sure I know where it's at. Look with me in Psalm 86 and verse number 11. Psalm 86. The psalmist says once again, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. The psalmist was saying, You know what, Lord, if you'll teach it to me, if you'll show me it, I'll commit to you that I will walk in it. Can I tell you, that's a way that will never lead to destruction. That's a way that is not measured by the the, the moving moral center of the world. 
But that is a way that is anchored to the steadfast, unchangeable God that will never lead us down a path of destruction. The psalmist says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Can I say this morning, this ought to be the prayer of every one of our hearts. Lord, teach me thy way. Teach me thy way. We're living in a time where because of the fact that we have enjoyed such religious freedom, we have become very apathetic to standing steadfast on the truth of God's Word. We've become very soft as Christians. We begin to deviate and to wander. By the way, we're beginning to see the results of that, aren't we? Just this week, a judge ruled that if a church and a pastor meet at their church today, they will be arrested. I've not heard yet. My prayer is that that pastor and those people showed up to church. Because at some point, we've got to understand that we must take a stand on these matters. Look with me, if you will, in Jeremiah chapter number 6. Jeremiah chapter number 6, and I love this passage. Verse number 16, Jeremiah says, Thus saith the Lord. And I love when he gives us that preface, don't you? Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein. And ye shall find what? Rest for your souls. That's, that's a stark contrast, is it not, from what we read in Proverbs? The way which seemeth right, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. But then there's a way here. The one that, the, that Jeremiah says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in them, walk in them. And notice what it says here. Ye shall find not death, not destruction, but you'll find rest under your soul. You know the, 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 the most satisfying, the most joyful place in all the world is in the very center of God's will. To, to say, Lord, I don't want my way. I want Your way. I, I want to make sure that, that the decisions I make about the, the, the choices that I, I follow, the things I follow in my life, I want to make sure <coughs> that they are Your ways. Why? Because they're going to bring rest. You say, oh, Brother Greg, those things are restrictive. The Bible's full of a bunch of don'ts and all these things I'm not allowed to do. Can I tell you, it brings great rest. It brings great rest to rest in the things that God has given us in His Word. You know, the Bible talks about that when we're saved, the commands of God are not grievous. They're not things that we look at and say, oh, I can't believe that He's forbidding me to do those things. We look at them with joy and say, I'm thankful God directs me in the path that will bring me the greatest satisfaction, the greatest joy in my life in His way. To stand in the old paths, to seek for them, to walk in them, so that we can find rest. Notice what the Bible says here in the end of verse number 16. But they said, speaking of the nation of Israel, we will not 
walk therein. Could you imagine? Jeremiah comes to him, the weeping prophet, and he says, nation of Israel, here's what God has said. If you'll stand in the old paths, if you'll seek the old ways and you'll walk therein, I'll give you rest. The nation of Israel said, nope, don't want it. And we look at that and we say, why in the world would they do that? But how often do you and I do that? We want our way. Oh, we want our way. It, it, it's, it's fun. It seems right. It's something that the world is glamorizing and making it look so good in the, the flashing lights and the, the, the great uh, excitement there is behind it. By the way, there's a lot of, there's a lot of meeting houses around the, the country today. I, I shy away from calling them churches that have gone into this whole thing of trying to bring in entertainment into the church and trying to bring in all this stuff and things that seem right. Things that bring excitement, things that will build a crowd, things that people will, will get excited about. And, and I'll tell you this. Can I tell you, when God does a work and God begins to stir the hearts of people, they will come. But when you try to get entertainment, you'll get a big crowd there. But it's a way that seems right. But the end thereof is the way of death. The way thereof is, is not profitable. It's not something that's going to be... Uh, helpful to them. It's not going to bring rest to their souls. We need to seek the old paths. We need to stand in them. Our way is, is something that is a very crucial decision. Every day of our lives, when we get up, we have to make a choice. I think it would be a wonderful thing if we could make this determination one time in our life and then not have to worry about it anymore. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I think I see some nodding heads. I think all of us would agree. If we don't do this every day, we find ourselves drifting from it, don't we? This is something we've got to choose to do daily, day by day. Choosing the right way. This, the, the, God told Haggai the prophet, he said, consider your ways. Consider your ways. There are times that we'll get away from the Lord in these things and we won't even realize it. We will have followed down the path, the same one that the world trod about 50 years ago, saying, oh, we're still separated from the world, but we're sure not where we used to be, are we? To be able to come back to God's Word and say, this is our standard, that this is our measurement, this is the thing that we look to to gauge whether this is a path that leads to destruction or whether this is a way that brings rest to our soul. And then if you will, turn with me to 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1. God tells us that we're supposed to consider our ways. I think one of the greatest deficiencies in the Christian life is the deficiency of taking time periodically to look into our hearts and measure them according to God's Word and say, where am I at? When we do this, God will always bring something to mind, won't He? You ever done that? You ever come to God's Word and say, Lord, search my heart. I, I really, my desire is I want to be pleasing to You. That's my desire. By the way, I hope that would be the desire of all of us. I think we ought to love Him enough that we would say, you know what, Lord, I want to do something that 
brings joy to your heart, pleasing to you. So God will show us things. If we have that kind of spirit, He'll bring them to mind. Look with me in 1 John chapter number 1. We're almost done. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, let's go back to verse number 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that's true. Once we get saved, doesn't make us perfect, sinless. We still have the old nature. But he says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we consider our ways and God shows us some things in our lives, what should we do about it? I mean, not, certainly when we consider our ways, we're going to find something, aren't we? But what do we do about it? The Bible says we're to confess it to God. We're to confess it to God. Ask for His forgiveness. By the way, not to get us saved again. Not to make us more saved. But to keep our fellowship with God the way that it should be. We consider our ways. God shows us some things. What are we to do? We're to confess our sin. Or to confess our sin. I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I had a, <clears throat> a friend of mine uh, who was a staff member at our church years ago. His name was Woody Futrell. And I've shared this story before, but when he was a boy, uh, one of his heroes was uh, the Flash, the, the superhero The Flash. And uh, The Flash could vibrate really fast and pass through solid objects, you know, that kind of thing. And Brother Woody, when he was a young boy got up on a hill behind his house, and he thought, I'm going to be like the Flash. And he said, I'm going to run down this hill, and there was a big tree at the bottom of the hill, and he thought, I'm going to get so fast I can go right through it. And so he got up on top of that hill, and he began to run and run and run, and boy, just picking up speed. And he hit that tree, and of course, we all know what happened, you know. To hear him tell it, and he's hilarious when he tells the story. He said, man, I, I saw stars spinning. Everything went black. He said, I don't know how long I was out for. He said, I woke up. I was all bloody and cut up. He said, I was laying there half out of my mind. And he said, the only thing I could think was I wasn't running fast enough. So he walks back up the hill a second time. And this time he really gets running. I mean, faster than the first time. And there he goes again. Boom. Into that tree a second time. We laugh at that, but the thing is, in our Christian lives, there are times we'll consider our ways. God will show us something. We'll confess it to God, and we'll get that fellowship restored. And it's not very long before we find ourselves right back where we were again because we didn't realize we were going right back there a second time. So after we consider our ways, we see what God has. And we confess our sin to the Lord to restore our relationship to Him. What then? Are there things we can do to try to keep us from going right back there again? There are. We can consecrate our will to Him. We can start daily yielding ourselves to Him. And saying, Lord, I don't want my way anymore. I want Your way. Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1 says, I beseech you. If you understand the word beseech, this is, this is a strong emotional word. Paul is begging. He's pleading. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, because God gave you His mercy, I'm pleading on that behalf. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your not extraordinary service. This isn't, this isn't the upper-tier Christianity of spiritual uh, wonderment. This is just reasonable. It's just what is supposed to happen in a Christian's life that we give our bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. He goes on in verse 2 to say, And be not conformed to this world. We don't look to them for our standard. But be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. we would consecrate our will and say, Lord, no more. Not only am I confessing this sin and asking You to forgive me from it, but I'm giving my will to You in this matter. By the way, we have a great example in this area, don't we? You know, the greatest example in Scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come, the Bible says, that we're to follow Him in His steps. He's a great example to us, isn't He? When it came time for our Lord Jesus Christ, who was all God, but He was also all man at the same time, He had no more desire to die and to go, die the crucifixion of the cross than you and I would have if we were in that situation. Those same feelings of anxiety and doubt and frustration, I'm sure, filled His heart. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that? Because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then he made one of the greatest statements of exampleship to you and I. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Consider our ways. We're living in a time where there probably needs to be an awful lot of considering. And I hope it will be a help to you this morning. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. How it teaches, how it instructs us and guides us. Father, we pray that You would help this morning give free course free reign to Your Holy Spirit to do as He would see fit in our hearts. Lord, may our hearts be yielded this morning to the leading of Your Holy Spirit in this matter of considering our ways. And then, Father, that He would do His perfect work in our hearts. Of all the times in the history of mankind that there is a need for Your people to get away from dwelling in their sealed houses and begin to consider their ways, to put our hearts upon the things of the Lord. It's today. And so, Father, I pray that you'll bless the invitation. Use it as you would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have Miss Evelyn play through him of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, perhaps you'd come. If you're here this morning you're not saved, can I urge you plead with you to come and let us take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. We'd be certainly glad to do that this morning.
The altars are open. Several have come. Perhaps there would be others. Fathers, we close in prayer. We pray that you would bless the messages that we've been through this morning already in the Sunday school hour and here at the 11 o'clock hour. Lord, what a a blessing it is. What a joy it is to come to your word, to be instructed in it. We're thankful for uh, your Holy Spirit's part as he works in our hearts. And Lord, sometimes, even though it's uncomfortable to have some conviction brought, we rejoice in it knowing that it's needful that it draws us closer to You. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to consider our ways, that we would be able to be more of what You would want us to be, and examples to this world that we would have a shining light that we could take to all this world of darkness to share the glorious Gospel with them. Lord, may You use us as vessels in Your hands to do Your work. We pray that You'll dismiss us with Your blessings. pray that You'll bless the food and the time of fellowship to follow here at lunch. And, uh, Father, that you will bless the remainder of this day as we have another service yet to come, that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.